Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored in part by the Read Harder Journal. Created by Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read and is a great gift for readers this holiday season. Interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by the Book Riot's annual Read Harder Initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. Get one for yourself or for the readers in your life at bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 69, and we are recording on Friday, December 13th. (laughs) I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're going to talk about our anticipated reads of 2020. Yay, hopefully nothing bad happens while we're talking about our anticipated (laughs) reads. I feel like I jinxed us by saying it out loud, (laughs) but you know what? We will just keep going and see what happens. We will, because this is our last show of 2019, which we only recently realized, so I feel like... Nothing bad can happen. The luck is with is us. not allowed. It's not, not allowed. allowed. Yeah, yeah. We're going on holiday break, yes. uh, and then we'll be back in January. But lots of time to get excited about books for sure. But before we start talking about our books and news, I'm going to tell you about Obsidian Detective by Michael Anderley, which is the sponsor of today's episode, and also LMBPN Publishing. So two rebels whose worlds collide on a planetary level, on the fringes of human space, a murder will light a fuse and send two different people colliding together. She lives on Earth, where peace among the population is a given. He's on the fringe of society, where authority is how much firepower you wield. She's from the powerful, the elite. He's with the military. Both want the truth. But is revealing the truth good for society? Two years ago, a small moon in a far-off system was set to be the location of the first intergalactic war between humans and an alien race. It never happened. However, something was found many are willing to kill to keep a secret. Now they've killed the wrong people. How many will need to die to keep the truth hidden? As many as is needed. Thank you so much to Obsidian Detective by Michael Anderley and LMBPN Publishing for sponsoring today's episode. Let's start talking about the news, and it looks like I'm up first, and I have to talk about this news piece that came up, actually it just came up yesterday, yesterday from the day we're recording, and so there's this new Dracula show coming (laughs) out, (laughs) and this completely unnecessary thing happened, so Stephen Moffat is 
has an upcoming 2020 series. It's based on the Bram Stoker classic, of course, Dracula. And there was some conversation that happened as a result of the trailer that came out for it about a a possible relationship between the characters in Dracula, Jonathan Harker and Dracula, of course. So because of this conversation, Moffat spoke up about it and immediately put the damper on conversations about Dracula maybe being bisexual. And the thing that he said was, I have to find the exact words because (laughs) it was, okay, so instead of, he said he is, Dracula's not bisexual, he's bi-homicidal, and it's not the same thing. He's killing them, not dating them. And (laughs) I'm just like, okay. And they very accurately describe this as a, you know, a quote unquote, no homo response to like Dracula's bisexuality. And it just felt like I had to do a double take because I was like, first of all, why is this ever necessary? Like, (laughs) are you saying don't look here, no progress is being made. Like, that's what it sounds like to me when I hear about people responding to things like, you know, to bisexuality and sexuality in such weird and uh, intolerant ways. So this whole story is ridiculous and I would have been way more interested in watching this Dracula series if he'd just been like, you know what? Yeah, like, obviously, in the stories themselves, there was, and this this article points it out quite accurately, like, there was flirtation between Dracula and Jonathan Harker, and there was sexuality explored in it. And we had Carmilla as well, which is the classic mm-hmm. about where les like being a lesbian is explored and that was like way back when and yet today in 29 at the end of 2019 we're still having this sort of response to people having conversations about dracula being bisexual it just like i was just kind of blown away by how ridiculous this all was what did you think I mean, Stephen Moffat is just, yeah, this is like his favorite thing to do, apparently. <laughs> and I'm not here for it, generally speaking. I don't watch his shows very often. Mm-hmm. Won't be watching Dracula. Pro- I mean, I probably wasn't going to watch it anyway, if I'm being perfectly honest. Like, I don't need, I don't need another Dracula in my life at this moment in time. <laughs> Although I don't disagree with you that if there had been some exploration, like some, uh, how do I want to say this? like overt exploration of sexuality involved, I would have been more tempted. Yeah. But but I'm still laughing at bi homicidal. What does that mean? <laughs> like what yeah, exactly. That's just I I mean, I just that's gonna crack me up for a while is all I have to say about that. It is. I feel like it should be written somewhere like on his business card. This is a thing I said, <laughs> like you have to wear that around and forever. stand by it forever because how oh, ridiculous Lord. are you? It's just so funny. It's so dumb. There you okay. go. Anyway. <laughs> News of the day. This is what we're dealing with. 
Um, okay, so let's see. I have two little things that I'm yeah. going to kind of sandwich together here that are newsy and that they happened recently and I want to talk about them. So, <laughs> so we talked about The Mandalorian and I mentioned how at the point where I was two episodes in, I was really enjoying it and it reminded me a lot of the original Star Wars feel. Yes. And I will say I am now I have seen up through the fifth episode and I I just want to say, OK, Baby Yoda is obviously still the cutest thing. in yes. the world. Like, obviously. <laughs> but if you want tight storytelling or like some sort of, you know, clear narrative thrust to be happening, this show is not for you. Like, I was talking about it with a friend who's still 100% on board, and she was saying that it's the light and fluffy Star Wars fun that she wants right now, which I can absolutely understand. But they are not... There are some pretty gaping plot holes, and there's a lot of lack of context or, like, clear narrative arc going on, which is frustrating me because I I guess I'm wanting more from it than it's going to give me. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if if you were on the fence about subscribing to Disney Plus and you know what kind of viewing experience you want, I just wanted to throw that out there. Is this like Ewok adventure level fluffiness? Oh, Lord, I forgot about that. I mean, I have a lot of nostalgic love for that, but I have no idea how I would feel about rewatching that now. I don't want to. Or, yeah, I kind of don't want to know. I don't know. I don't know, Sharif. I don't know. I know. That's what I was. I, I really did want to really just because of Baby Yoda watch The Mandalorian, yeah. but I don't know what I actually expected from it. Sometimes I'm mm. like... With franchises in particular sometimes, and Star Wars is such a big one, and they're, you know, coming up with so many different stories. Oh, yeah. And so many different shows, and I wonder if sometimes there's just this sort of thing is bound to happen where it's just stretched a little thin, or there's not mm -hmm. a lot of, like, oversight on all the different stories and the way stories are being told. And maybe this was just like, oh, well, we're just doing this sort of fluffy show for this channel and we're going to appeal to all the nostalgia about Gizmo and things like that and, right. and, you know, hook people that way, but we're not really focusing on the plot. So, yeah, I, I don't know. That seems very possible yeah. it's it's interesting i mean i'm i have it for free so i'll keep watching and maybe maybe they will maybe they have some stuff planned but they're taking a while to get to it i guess that's good to know good yeah. info uh the second little piece that i wanted to say is and this is for everybody who's still like trying to figure out game uh excuse me this is for everybody who's still trying to figure out like some holiday shopping perhaps I recently went to my first ever board game, like, tabletop convention. It was so much fun. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, is PAX Unplugged, which was here in Philadelphia, where I live, which is amazing. And so I did not have to travel for it and could just, like, get a one-day pass and poke my head in. And I had heard about it from friends, and it was really fantastic. They had all kinds of panel panels and things, which I did not go to, but I loved the exhibit hall where you could go to all of these different game makers' booths, and they were demoing games, and they would teach you how to play them, and they also had a giant free play area and a 
game library where you could rent for free games to play in the free play area. It was fantastic. We spent like 12 hours oh, wow. doing this. It was amazing. It was, And it was open late. It was literally open until midnight. The exhibit hall in the free, or not the exhibit hall, the free play area was open until midnight. So we like went and got dinner and then went back. And I saw while I was there... There's these two graphic novels by Katie O'Neill, The Tea Dragon Society, and Aquacorn Cove, which are just freaking adorable. Like, if you just want some low-key, adorable fantasy that is inclusive and sweet and beautifully drawn, I cannot recommend these highly enough. And there are games attached to both of these books. And I own and have played the Tea Dragon Society game, and it is just really sweet and fun. And I saw the Aquacorn game at PAX Unplugged, and it's, like, a little bit about uh, environmentalism as well as, like, ocean unicorns, which is amazing, right? Like, who who doesn't want that? So... I just wanted to make sure those were all on your radar. I will acknowledge that Oni Press, who is the publisher, has been called out in the past year in regards to their treatment of staffers from marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. So there's some weirdness going on there. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. I also happened to walk by the makers of the new Dune board game, which is one of those territory control and negotiation games. I didn't actually get to play it, but the pieces looked good. And if you are like a territory control and negotiate like risk, civilization, etc., if you love those kinds of games and you want one with a Dune flavor, that is what that is. And I also discovered, because the Settlers of Catan folks had an enormous booth, that there are franchise versions of Catan for basically everything, including Star Trek, which I had no idea. So if you just want to play Catan in space, you can do that. (laughs) Just FYI. (laughs) I saw the photo of you at this convention, and I was like, first of all, I had no idea what it was, but I saw that it was board games, and you looked so excited and happy. (laughs) And then I was like, this sounds like an introvert. Like, do you, did you find it easy? Like, you played with strangers, right? Well, it's interesting. So, you can. I happen to know some folks there, so I played some games with friends. But then, when you're at these random, you know, booths getting demos, we played, like, we played this game We're Doomed, which we actually ended up buying. It was pretty, it's a pretty fun, like, big party game. Like, you need 10 people for it, kind of. Yeah, it's, I mean, you can do it with less, but it's not as much fun. Uh, And those were strangers, you know, like, I did not know those 10 people. And But you're playing a game. Like, you're interacting within this very defined space Mm. of rules. So you don't have to... You're not even going to have time to make small talk or, like, try to introduce yourself or whatever. You're just playing this game. So that was pretty cool. And I did appreciate, and I, several of the friends who I happened to see there are also, you know, dyed-in-the-wool introverts. And we're talking about how nice it is to, like, you know, go to a panel or go by the booths and talk to people and then go hide in the free play area and just, like, do nothing. Like, you can do that. There's, you know, it's it's still loud and busy, but you can easily take a little break for yourself. So it sounds like the perfect place. I loved it. I would I'll definitely go again. I don't know that I would do more than one day. It's a three day convention. And I was pretty happy with my one day experience. Yeah, two 12 hour days might be uh, a little bit much, (laughs) just a little bit. (laughs) Well, I think we only did 12 hours because it was our one day. So we wanted to get as much, you know, bang for our buck. But yeah, for sure. That sounds so like so much fun. It looked like such a happy moment. Yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. And I have some, this, this is actually a relatively small story. And it's just because, obviously, even though I haven't watched The Mandalorian, I'm obsessed with Baby Yoda like all the rest of the world. Everybody who has a soul <laughs> is obsessed with Baby Yoda. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, of course, first of all, I cannot believe how quickly people, not just like, companies but like individuals are coming up with baby yoda merch like i have just been noticing how much baby yoda merch there is out there in the world and i'm like did they know baby yoda was a thing a long time ago because how so hasbro has also announced a new baby yoda collectibles collection and they are absolutely adorable and i learned some need to know information from this article that the little bull baby Yoda is holding is filled with bone broth. I All this time, I was like, oh, he's drinking some tea. And there's all sorts of puns to be made there. I'm glad I didn't make a fool of myself. But yes, so there's a bunch of these little adorable, like actually really relatively realistic looking, realistic as a Yoda can get bunch of collectibles and some of them are bendy and they're all as cute as you can imagine them to be there's even that little froggy thing in it um and they're all actually relatively they range from eight dollars to 25 dollars for some reason when i saw collectibles i thought that they'd be super expensive but these are actually really nice the only thing here i was originally going to say in case you're looking around for more christmas gifts or holiday gifts but they're not actually out until spring. So these are, are literally just pre-ordering for, I believe it's May or March, it says down here. It's going to be out May of 2020. So you've got a little while to wait. But if you want to check out some cute Baby Yoda collectibles, I don't know. I feel like I have to watch the show before I can allow myself to buy these. But <laughs> but you might want to I don't to know. <laughs> You might just need a cute desk baby Yoda. Like, that's I feel true. like that's allowed. I don't need reasons for things. No, like yeah, I was Yoda's. just going to say, when have we ever needed a reason for something cute? I mean, that's You're just... You're so right. <laughs> it is its own reason. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, these are like two-inch collectibles. Yeah. I'm I'm not a collectible person. Uh, and the, I'm not going to lie, the plush is really cute, but also a little uncanny valley. Like, it freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> So, so I probably I I have had to resist the Funko Pop Baby Yoda is what I'm having trouble resisting pre-ordering. Like I'm not gonna do it, but boy, am I tempted. That's what those I'm are super cute too. By. The Funko Pops are so stupid cute. It's just annoying. Uh, so yeah, that's my feelings on Baby Yoda. You're right. Merch. There is a realism. Maybe the realism can be a little bit off putting. <laughs> I don't know. It's just not for me. <laughs> No oh, okay, baby so... Yoda plushie for Jen. Please no. don't send it her way. <laughs> Although I will find this and remember self to drop a link in the show notes. Somebody did a pattern on Ravelry for like crocheting, I think, your own yes. plush baby Yoda. And that was stinking cute. Uh, yeah, that was adorable. I think I saw that and I agree. I was staring at it and I told myself not to get it. So, yeah. but I don't know how to should. crochet, so the world is safe for me, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but one day. Uh, yeah. So let's talk real quick, uh, before we move into our book picks, about this Wonder Woman trailer. Yes. I 
wasn't waiting for this, quite frankly. I kind of forgot that Wonder Woman 1984 was happening. Mm -hmm. And I also have feelings about, you know, Steve Trevor coming back. I have feelings about that. But I enjoyed a lot of this trailer. We have a post on the site that is a little bit like what we loved, what we didn't love. And I just agree with all of that. So I will leave it to link to that. But I mean, Diana in a mall taking out security cameras with her lasso is just a mood. Like it's (laughs) it's so lovely. I don't know. What did you think? I was definitely deep in my nostalgia with this. I mean, I'm an 80s kid. Mm-hmm. So all of it spoke to me, except as mentioned in the post, there was not like a ton of 80s fashion, which I weirdly missed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was so like, I could feel the adrenaline rush watching this. When you watch it, if you don't have that adrenaline rush feeling, I don't even know because she's literally like, the thing she does with lightning bolts in this trailer oh, yeah. is incredible. And I, too, was not necessarily waiting for it. But now I feel like there's no way I can't see it in the theater. So good. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I hope. Lots of popcorn for this one. Oh, the most. <laughs> All right. So before we get into our most anticipated, I will tell y'all about our next sponsor, which is Anyone by Charles Soule uh, by Harper Perennial. And this is the newest novel from best-selling comic book writer Charles Soule. And it is set in the near future, and it follows a scientist searching for an Alzheimer's cure who throws a switch and finds herself mysteriously transported into her husband's body. Then what begins as a botched experiment changes her life and the world forever. And now, two decades later, flash technology allows people the ability to transfer their consciousness into other bodies for specified periods of time, which are like paid for and registered and legal. But of course, there is a black market called the dark share, where desperate people rent out their bodies, no questions asked for any purpose, which you can imagine is not going to turn out great. So... If you are looking for transhumanist stories, resleeving stories, which I know y'all are because we get questions about that all the time, definitely going to want to check this out. Again, that is from Charles Soule. It is available now wherever books are sold, and it is called Anyone. Thank you to Harper Perennial for sponsoring. All right. So, Sharifa. Yes. I didn't tell you that I was going to do this. But I gave myself a little assignment for picking my most anticipated. Okay. Because I know. She's like, what are you going to say? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right now. Was I was looking through. Yeah. And I, and I, I, it helped that we are going to do a separate show about uh, next in series because there was too many good series books yeah. to not just take over everything. But what I did once I knew we were going to do that is I picked books by people I haven't read yet. Oh. Like I just went 100% new to me authors in my most anticipated because there are so many good looking books coming out next year, including a lot by people we love who I know you're going to talk about, which is great because then I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I only picked authors I haven't read yet. That's so, so good. That's such a great idea. And some of these I definitely I can't wait to read as well. So I'm glad you picked some of them as well. Even though I yeah. haven't read any of the authors you chose 
either, I don't think. Right? Yeah. Some of them are debuts and some of them are not. So it's an interesting mix. Uh, so my first sci-fi pick is Vagabonds by Hao Jingfang, and it is translated by Ken Liu, and that's coming out in April, on April 14th. And this one, well, so first of all, obviously Ken Liu has been doing an amazing job translating uh, Chinese fiction, science fiction, and fantasy and bringing it to the United States. It's incredible how much he's accomplishing. And uh, this one just looks, I mean, incredible. And also, Hao Jingfeng is a Hugo Award-winning author. She won the Best Novelette for Folding Beijing in 2016. So I'm really excited. She's a new-to-me author who is not new on the scene, and I'm really excited to get dug into her work. And this one takes place a century after a Martian War of Independence, and a group of kids are sent to Earth as delegates from Mars. But when they get there, you know, everything goes sideways, Mm -hmm. of course. And I love this kind of premise. I love this idea of, you know, Mars and Earth being at odds. And then the idea of, you know, kids being used as ambassadors is so fascinating because that has all kinds of interesting historical precedent. And yeah, I I I love the um, resonances I'm getting with like I don't know the dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin, or even you know the 100 where you know the kids go in first yeah. to like <laughs> for various reasons. Uh, so yeah, it just sounds really great, and I I also really now need to read her novelette Folding Beijing uh, to sort of prep myself for the excitingness that is going to be Vagabonds. But yeah, it's. She's new to me, and I love Ken Liu's work, and so I'm super excited about that one. Again, that is Vagabonds by Hao Jingfeng, translated by Ken Liu. I remember when that novella was everywhere in the news, um, in SFF News at least, so I'm really interested in seeing what you think about it. Yeah. My first science fiction pick is Docile by K.M. Spara, who is also new to me, this one at least. And I admit that when the galley arrived in the mail, I was mostly drawn to the color palette of the cover, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't, it it totally screams millennial. And I also just happen to love pink, which is the predominant color. But aesthetic aside, I also saw a blurb on the cover from Charlie Jane Anders, who we all know and love. And that made me interested enough to put it on my TBR stack. And best of all, it just sounds like a really fantastic book. So this is a near future science fiction. It's described as a parable about love and sex, wealth and debt, abuse and power. And it sounds like a really terrifying but compelling vision of the future. So in this near future, in order for people to pay debts or to build a better future for themselves and or, you know, their families, they become dociles. And dociles retreat into themselves by, through this drug called dociline. And that allows them to dissociate from being a docile. To what level? I don't know. But it allows them to be a docile and to survive being a docile. And they're doing this because they have to take this drug because they're humans who are owned body and soul by another person. So these people who become dociles are basically selling themselves to be used by the person who owns their contract. And 
The main character is Alicia, whose mom never recovered from taking this drug and being a docile from that experience. So when Alicia, who's trying to pay off this family inherited debt, vows not to take the drug during his service as a docile, surprise, surprise, his contract is taken up by the son of the family behind the drug. So Alex, who's the son, can't believe the drug has any negative side effects on people and so begins what is sure to be a really rocky dynamic between these two. And I don't, you may remember, you might remember me talking a lot about how much I loved the 2018 novel Mem by Bethany Morrow. Morrow. Mm. And something about the description of this book gave me those feels, like made me think that maybe I would get that same experience from reading it. There's very much that sort of imbalance of power where the wealthy have this really troubling relationship with the people they view as beneath them and the con the concept of sentience and what can be done to the living when their humanity is kind of stripped away there's abuse of power and i can't exactly get a read on how troubling this will be but considering yeah. the description i'm kind of bracing myself and this is uh, K.M. Spara's debut novel, but he's written essays and short fiction. He's a Hugo and Nebula finalist. And if you're trying to read more books by queer authors, Spara's a queer and trans author. I was unfamiliar with his work, but I'm really glad this debut showed up on my radar and I can't wait to read it. So again, I've been talking about Docile by K.M. Spara, which is out March 3rd. Yeah, I had that one on my radar as well as like potentially squeaky, but yes. maybe really good. <laughs> Nervous. I know, but it it looks fascinating. Yeah. Uh, my next pick is The Down Days by Ilza Hugo, which comes out in May, May 5th. And they are comping this to both The Trail of Lightning and The Book of M. Wow. Which is, yeah, I was like, mm, that what <laughs> like those that I, I mean i guess they have things in common but not a lot uh and so we'll see it is a post-apocalypse novel in which a deadly outbreak has happened and a it takes place in a city at the tip of africa and everybody is losing their minds. Uh, they are experiencing hallucinations and paranoia. And people are trying to figure out, like, is this just an episode of mass hysteria or is this another outbreak of something? And there is a quarantine city where this is happening. And Faith, the main character, is, first of all, she is a full-time corpse collector. Amazing. <laughs> and a freelance, quote unquote, truthologist, which I'm guessing means detective. It says she puts together disparate pieces of information to solve problems. And she agrees to help an orphan girl find her abducted baby brother and then starts to wonder, like, is the boy real? Because everybody's having these hallucinations and stuff. And then there's another young man named Sans who trades in, like, the black market. And he accidentally misplaces a bag of money he owes his gang partners. So then that is going off the rails. And these characters and a bunch of others, including all kinds of interesting sounding people, like a data dealer and a sin eater uh inter their stories intertwine in this book and i am just super fascinated by this premise it is first of all it's international 
sci-fi. Uh, Ilza Hugo is a South African debut author, which sounds awesome. Like I'm getting some Lauren Bucus vibes maybe, yes. which would be very cool. I would love some more in that wheelhouse. And like I said, I'm really dying to know what the comps for Trail of Lightning and The Book of M, both books I really loved, but like are very different. I'm really dying to see what that looks like in actual practice. Or are they just like saying words, <laughs> which happens sometimes in comps. <laughs> so, so again, that was The Down Days by Ilza Hugo, and that comes out on May 5th in 2020. Um, I think I, I'm not trying to make this into the covers show, but I think when I saw that cover, I thought it was like Lisa Frank on acid. Like it was so weird. Mm -hmm. So weird. Um, anyway, that aside, my last science fiction pick is, uh, one that you actually don't have to wait too long for since it's out January 21st. It's Riot Baby by Toche Onyebuche. This is another debut, but it's Onyebuche's adult debut, since he's also the author of a title that some of you may be familiar with. It's uh, Beasts Made of Night. That was a YA, and that one won a No More Award. So mm -hmm. very exciting to see his adult debut. And the story is set actually in my hometown, Los Angeles. And I would say I was delighted by the prospect of revisiting those familiar streets. But this is a dystopian novel. And L.A. is described as having basically burned down around these, these two characters, Ella and Kev. And their worlds are, are rocked when Kev, who's Ella's brother, is incarcerated. But the thing about Ella is that she has this ability she can see people's future, or at least it sounds like she can see people's futures. And she might also have a potentially destructive other power in her hands. So when Kev, who's been acting as her protector, is put away, things start to spiral and Ella has to make some difficult decisions about what she's going to do with her abilities and also considering Kev's treatment. So... I don't know about you, but I've been hearing a lot of stories about, like, real-life stories about incarceration, and it feels like we've been talking about the prison industrial complex for a while, especially in regards to race. So this book felt really timely, and it sounds like it's directly confronting the Black American experience. Because, of course, you know, to be honest, we're living in a particular dystopia when it comes to race. And what also attracted me to this book is that some of its themes put me in mind of the late, great Octavia Butler. Mm -hmm. And any book that makes me feel like it could potentially be a somewhat of a Butler experience is a book I'm going to pick up. And it's a slim read. It's only 176 pages. And I think it's probably going to be my first pre-2020 read. I've been going back and forth like so much about which 2020 book to read first. And I've stopped and started a few, but I think a quick read like this one is kind of the perfect warm-up for a new year of reading. So again, I've been talking about Riot Baby by Toche Onyebuche, and it's out January 21st. I really enjoyed Beasts Made of Night and haven't gotten to the sequel yet. So I'm excited to see that he's doing sci-fi as well. Yeah, stretching those wings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, let's see. So my first fantasy pick is The Wolf of Orin Yarrow by K.S. Veloso. And 
this has well let's just talk about covers because why not <laughs> why not <laughs> This one has a badass lady with a sword on the cover. Yes. So I was like, ooh, tell me more. What is this? <laughs> and and the opening line that they have quoted in the description starts with, they called me the bitch queen. And I was like, what? Okay. I'm here. What do we, what do we talk about? <laughs> you have my attention. <laughs> And so, but it is like a medieval style uh, fantasy, uh, though that could have been, you know, that could be out of like the current milieu, obviously. <laughs> like that's a Lizzo song, basically. It is, totally. <laughs> but this is not a Lizzo song. This is a medieval style fantasy. And the queen in question, Queen Talion, was like the hero of a very bloody war. But then her arranged marriage with the son of a rival clan put everything like, you know, very off track. And now she is like years later, she's been reviled. And, you know, they have, you know, her name has been trodden into the mud, as it were. And everybody in her kingdom hates her. And she gets a message that will send her on a quest across the sea. And she's trying to reconcile the past and accept it turns into an, an assassination attempt. Whoops. So what is she going to do? <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm here for all of this. Like, there's nothing in this description that I'm not interested he in hearing more about. I love a complicated, morally compromised heroine. I love fantasy that does more than just like the sort of, you know, proto European experience. This looks like it's going to be a little bit different by that. Uh, and it specifically says in Veloso's bio that much of her work is inspired by her childhood in the Philippines. So I have so many reasons why I'm interested in this book. Again, that is The Wolf of Orinero by K.S. Veloso. I'm going to have to pick that one up too. Right? Yes. Um, okay, so my actually my two fantasy picks are by authors I have read, and my first one comes courtesy of a big name in science fiction, none other than N.K. Jemisin, and I'm talking about her upcoming book, The City We Became. Yes! yes. I was so excited when this book came in the mail. I was basically uh -huh. dancing around the living room with it. <laughs> Extremely sane. Yes! Uh, so this book does not have a big description, so there isn't much I know about the story, which I really actually like, and I didn't want to plumb the depths to figure out what exactly is going on here. But what we do know is that the story is set in New York City. In fact, it, it almost sounds like the city is a character in and of itself, at least based on the blurb. I don't know to what extent, but it's definitely described as if it's an entity. So anyway, New York has these five protectors. One of the descriptions says six, but most everywhere else it says five. So I'm going with that. <laughs> so these five protectors have basically come together to protect the city from this ancient evil that's threatening to rise up. The end. That's all I got. And that's all I need to know because you say N.K. Jemisin and I say give me that book. So there's no way I'm not going to read this book. N.K. Jemisin is, of course, the record-breaking Hugo and Nebula award-winning author of the Broken Earth trilogy. She also wrote the Inheritance trilogy and more recently the short story collection How Long Till Black Future Month. So prolific already. And We've talked at great length about Jemison and how amazing she is, and I'm just really excited to read it. This is actually the book I was going to start with, but now that I've sort of decided not to be a hot mess about my 2020 reading, 
So I'm trying to read things like <laughs> a month before they come out. I've never done this. I don't know if it's going to work out. I'm just saying this. So I'm saving this one for February so I can scream about it on March 24th when it actually hits the shelves. And I'm expecting great world building. And I'm so curious about how she's going to transform New York City, which to be fair, I'm only acquainted with as a tourist, but still, still interesting. And I'm so, so curious about who these five characters are, what their conflicts are going to be, what powers and personalities they'll have. Because she's also an amazing character builder as well as a world builder. So again, I've been talking about The City We Became by N.K. Jemison out March 24th. So I am 100% positive that you could go into that completely knowing nothing like you do now. Mm -hmm. But I will say that if you want a taste of that world in advance, that novel is an expansion of a short story that was in When Will We Have Black Future Month? And it's also online. It's called The City Born Great. (laughs) And I have read it and it's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) but it, it does give you some information about like, what are the rules of that world? And, you know, some characters who, again, I haven't read the new one yet, so I don't know how, how many of the characters from the original will see from the short story that we'll see in the novel, but it will give you a peek into that world if you want one. So I will leave a link to that in the show notes for anybody who's impatient. (laughs) Everybody, basically. Yeah, everybody. Everybody's impatient. Yes, I know. It's amazing. I'm so excited to get into that book. I am not, I do not have a systemic plan for. But you have spreadsheets. You have your own thing. Well, yeah, I log things systematically, but I don't read systematically. I guess that's the difference there. I'm the opposite Um, now. (laughs) (laughs) So, my fantasy pick, uh, my final fantasy pick. Final Fantasy. Haha. <laughs> anyway, okay, sorry. Just distracting myself now. <laughs> Is The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Clune, which comes out March 17th. And TJ Clune is a name I know because the When in Romance ladies like love Clune's work. I have seen uh Clune referenced lots of times in their show notes or on the site in their posts and and also I discovered from the bio um he is a lambda literary award winning author which is super cool and uh this book is being comped to Charlie Jane Anders and Shauna McGuire's work Ooh. which like color me interested the cover is great and they are calling it a 1984 meets umbrella academy meets Douglas Adams <laughs> which Like, that's a lot of interesting things. That's a lot of interesting things. Yes. It takes place on a magical island. I love, I do love a magical island. And it's about a man named Linus Baker, who is 40 and lives in a tiny house with a cat and his records. He is a caseworker at the department in charge of magical youth. So he oversees children in government-sanctioned orphanages. And then he gets like summoned in by upper management and given a classified assignment to travel to this island orphanage where six, quote unquote, dangerous children reside. And he has to decide whether or not they are going to bring about the apocalypse, 
Which, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, NBD. (laughs) So I can see why they're making the comps that they are. Like, I totally can see sort of the elements that it seems to me they're drawing on to compare with, like, All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders or Every Heart a Doorway by Shauna McGuire. And it does sound very funny. And I do love me some funny fantasy. And so, yeah, I'm excited to crack into this one because the more light hearted fantasy that is also inclusive that I have in my life, the happier I am. Agreed. So again, that is The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune. Very nice. Uh, Okay, for my last fantasy pick, I've got uh, a new series alert from one of our favorites, Rin Chupiko, and the title of the first book was so irresistible, I clicked the link before I even noticed the author's name. I'm talking about Wicked As You Wish, which is the first book in the series 100 Aims for Magic, out March 3rd. This is an alternative history fairy tale featuring everything I love. Fairy tales turn on their heads, ragtag friendships, and a magical kingdom. But then our main characters are stuck in Arizona, (laughs) which is not Arizona. (laughs) Arizona is not the magical kingdom, by the way. Um, so Prince Alexi or Alex and Tala have some secrets about their history. Both are refugees of Avalon. They fled the kingdom when the Snow Queen showed up to kick up some dust and throw some ice at the place. So the kingdom is frozen and Alex is the only member of the Avalon royal family who survived. And Tala is one of few people who know his secret. And she's also got one of her own. And it sounds like neither of them is necessarily living it up and having a good time in unmagical Arizona. And then there's this omen of change that sparks hope and sets in motion this journey back to Avalon where Alex, Tala, and some new friends band together. They hope to make this change and to return to the kingdom and return the kingdom to its people. And I love a fun fairy tale where you know, the known world clashes with the magical world. And I feel like I'm in good hands with Rin Chupeko, who, as you might know, wrote the Bone Witch trilogy that recently concluded. Her stories just give me that throwback feeling of being a kid reading about magic. And I'm sure I'll need that escape hatch at some point next year. It always (laughs) happens. So it's funny, uh, between the Jemison and the Chupeko, it feels like there's a sort of urban magic trend or city clashing with magical world thing happening over here and i do wonder how much of this book takes place in arizona though and through what places they will all journey but in any case give me all the ragtag friendships especially if they're really bad at doing what they're supposed to do (laughs) and i will pick this one up i guess this one's also a february read since it's march i'm gonna have a lot of february reading so anyway, I've been talking about Wicked As You Wish by Rin Chupeko, which is out March 3rd. She's got so much going on so right now. Much. She's got another series starting, too. I just am delighted by all of it. Me, too. I'm, I'm happy for her. Mm-hmm. Great writer. Her Instagram, P.S., is awesome. And she does giveaways like swag for pre-orders. There's some amazing enamel pins in the world. Yeah, I know. I know you love an enamel pin. I love an enamel pin. (laughs) (laughs) 
you should definitely follow her on Instagram if you're not already. I am definitely going to. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. We will be back with our most anticipated in series books in January. Uh, In the meantime, you should email us at sffyatbookriot.com. Maybe send us your most anticipated books and we'll do some shout outs at the top of the next show. If you have a minute to review us on Apple Podcasts, please do that. It would be lovely. It helps other people to find the show and we love to see the feedback. And you can find us online. I am on Twitter as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at Williams, S-C-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next year. 